0: You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. All right, grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter number 12, if you would. 2 Corinthians 12 is what we'll be at tonight. We've been going verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. I believe this is message number 47 or 48 uh, in our series. If you've been sitting so far, you can always get caught up at our website at whoecallit.org. We 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. Only 13 chapters in the book of 2 Corinthians, which means we're down to the end of it. What will we do next, next uh, uh, book after this is gonna be 3 Corinthians. And so get ready for that. Most people didn't catch that. So there is no third Corinthians, uh, so uh, we'll move on to another book on Sunday nights. Uh, for that, uh, if you missed out on our study of Ephesians this morning, we took a, it was a, a a hot message this morning. We took a look at uh, if you missed out on that, catch it up on our, our podcast uh, tomorrow, uh, and you'll be helped by that for sure. Second Corinthians chapter number twelve is where we're at tonight. Uh, Paul is kind of winding down his letter uh, to the church at Corinth here, uh, and as he winds it down, he's really just kind of pouring his heart out uh, in these last uh, chapter and a half or so. We find ourselves in Second Corinthians chapter number twelve, verse number eleven. Paul has already told us about his thorn in the flesh and uh, how God used that to make him better, to make him stronger, to lean on God's grace even more. Uh, Paul used most of uh, chapter 11, uh, giving his credentials as an apostle and putting down any uh, types of accusations that had been made against him and his good name. Verse number 11, Paul says, "'I am become a fool in glorying. "'You have compelled me, "'for I ought to have been commended of you. "'For nothing I am behind the chiefest of the apostles, "'though I be nothing.'" Truly the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in patience and signs and wonders and mighty deeds. For what is what is it wherein you were inferior to other churches except it be that I myself was not burdensome to you? Forgive me for this wrong. Uh, Paul's basically kind of being uh, sarcastic here. He's saying, I didn't take anything from you. I didn't uh, use anything of you. I didn't try to get gain from you. And if uh, by some reason I hurt your feelings or did something wrong, uh, please forgive me for that. Verse number 14 Behold, the third time I am ready to come to you, I will not be burdensome to you, for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. But be it so that I did not burden you, nevertheless being crafty, I caught you with guile. Did I make gain of you by any of them that I sent unto you? Hey, I didn't get rich off anybody. I didn't take anything from you. Uh, Verse 18, he says, I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make gain of you? Uh, Did Titus take anything from you? We walk not in the same spirit. Walked we not in the same steps? Again, you think that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God in Christ. We do all things dearly beloved for your edifying. For I fear lest when I come, I should not find you such as I would, that I should not be found unto you such things as would not, lest there be debates Envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings, swellings, tumults. Unless when I come again, my God will humble me among you and that I should bewail many which have sinned already and have not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. As we look at this passage of Scripture, just by way of review, uh, as we talk, take a look at this, Paul is the author of this. He's writing to the church at Corinth. Paul actually started the church at Corinth. Uh, Paul starts the church at Corinth from scratch with uh, Priscilla and Aquila, a couple of people that he met, in the workplace. Uh, they started the uh, church at Corinth together. Paul pastored that uh, for about 18 months and then moved on. After he had moved on, Paul leaves and writes a letter about sexual immorality at the church. And so Paul writes a letter saying, hey, uh, you don't need to be around people that are struggling with this sexual immorality. Here's the thing about it. We only know what he tells us from 1 Corinthians because we don't have a copy of this letter. But it's Paul's first letter uh, that he wrote, which is not 1 Corinthians. I don't know if that's confusing or not, but we don't have a copy of that letter. And why don't we have a copy of it? Because God didn't want us to have it. Uh, God says his word is perfect and preserved. Uh, we're not missing anything by not having Paul's letter because God has everything that he wants us to have. Next, we see Paul writes a second letter dealing with multiple issues of division, sexual sin, faking spiritual gifts, being unloving, and more. This is the book of 1 Corinthians. We, we wanna, we've already studied 1 Corinthians. It took us about a year and a half. We went through verse by verse, studied 1 Corinthians. So Paul's second letter is 1 Corinthians. Next, After Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he ends it by saying, I'm going to come visit you shortly, and he did. Uh, Paul visits the church, and he's confronted by false apostles, false teachers, and false accusations. Uh, Paul did not come back to the church that he left. He came back to something much worse. Uh, Paul, when he came back, there was all types of uh, drama that was even worse than what he had had before because it was false teaching. And false doctrine had led the church astray. Uh, There were false teachers that were there that were calling Paul's motives into question. So, well, Paul's just trying to get rich. Paul's just trying to make a name for himself. Who is even Paul? Uh, Paul, is he really who he says that he is even? And Paul, uh, as a result of that, he left, and he writes a third letter asking them to repent. Uh, this is a strongly worded letter that Paul wrote. Uh, we sometimes refer to it as Paul's harsh letter that he wrote. We do not have a copy of this letter either. We don't know exactly what it said. Uh, Paul uh, deals in the first couple of chapters of, first, of Second Corinthians about what he said. Uh, and Paul wrote this letter, this harsh letter, and then he sent it to the church at Corinth by Titus. Now, Titus is a, a guy that's serving alongside Paul. Think of it this way. Paul writes the letter and says, Titus, take this to the church at Corinth and tell me what they say. And so Titus takes the letter and he reads it to them. And they, so many of the people in the church there repent. Oh, we shouldn't have done that to Paul. Paul's been good to us. Paul uh, has been teaching us good doctrine. These people uh, have false doctrine. But some people did not repent. And so Titus goes back to Paul and says, Paul, uh, many of the people repented. Some did not. There's, the false teachers are still there. They haven't cast them out. And so now Paul uh, writes a third letter asking, I'm sorry, uh, now as the church of Corinth repents, Paul writes a fourth letter, defending his name and encouraging them to be more mature. This is 2 Corinthians. So Lots of letters back and forth. Paul that we know of, that we know of, wrote at least four letters of those we have two of them, First and Second Corinthians. These would actually be the second and fourth letters. So sometimes like your Bible uh, might say, as mine does, Paul's first epistle to the Corinthian church, Paul's second epistle to the Corinthian church. It's actually not. It's actually his second and fourth, but that would be really confusing, right? Turn to fourth Corinthians, turn to second Corinthians. Well, where's the first and second? Uh, that's just a little history lesson. gives you context where we're at. As Paul dials this down to the end, he's gonna go visit him again. Uh, that's why in, uh, I, I go through all that because in verse number 14, he says, behold the third time I'm ready to come to you. This is gonna be the third time that I visit you. And he even says at the end, I'm concerned about coming back, guys. I'm concerned that when I come back, you've forgotten everything I've told you. I'm concerned that when I come back, there's gonna be more sexual immorality there. There's gonna be fighting. There's gonna be backbiting. There's just gonna be drama when I show up. I'm concerned about that. And so Paul, in this case here, really shows his heart as a pastor. I've entitled tonight's message The Heart of a Spirit-Filled Pastor. Pastor. And as we look at this passage of scripture, uh, verse number 14, if we take a look at that, he says, behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you and I seek not to be, I will not be burdensome to you for I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay out for the parents, but the parents for the children. Paul says in this case here, it's not what I want from you, it's what I want for you. Paul says, I'm not trying to get anything from you. I'm not trying to ask what you can do for me. I'm trying to help you because I'm trying to do something for you. This is the heart of a spirit-filled pastor. It's my goal as a pastor to give you the tools and resources that you need to make good decisions to find the greatest joy in life through Jesus. I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything from you. I want something for you, though. Men, we're having a men's leadership night this Friday night at 6.30. We don't gather that together because I need some affirmation of of who my friends are. We don't do it because I need fellowship or anything like that. I do it because I want something for you and I want something for your family. I want something for your workplace. I want something for your community. And it starts men with us. If you're you're a married man, you are the man for your house. It's your job to be the theologian for the house. It's your job to be the referee for the house. It's your job to be the protector provider for the house. And when it comes to the Christian home, it starts with the men. You say, well, what about the ladies? Ladies, we have ladies fellowship coming up in December. You'll have your time together, I promise you that, and it'll be a lot of fun, okay? But the idea is this. It's not what I'm trying to get from you. It's what I'm trying to get for you. Paul says in this case here, I, I, I'm not, I don't need anything from you. He says, I'm not looking for what you can do for me. He says, the children don't give stuff to the parents. The parents take care of the kids. And Paul, in this case here, uh, don't look at this as a demeaning relationship because it's not that way. Paul even tells the church in 1 Corinthians, guys, I wish I could talk to you like adults, but I can't because you're acting like a bunch of kids. And if you're going to act like kids, I'm going to talk to you like kids. And when he says in this case here, he calls them his children, he doesn't mean in a demeaning relationship. He's saying to them, I feel like you're my own children. I feel like you're my flesh and blood and I'm telling you this, any pastor in the world feels that way about his congregation if he's doing his job right. Pastor Wilder did here. I know for him, been many nights that he's sat up and hasn't gone to bed because somebody in his church is hurting or somebody in their church has messed their life up because I've been there, I've done that. I've only pastored for five years. i never pastored before uh, this church here. But I know what it's like to see other people hurt. I know what it's like to, to want more for someone's life than what they want for themselves. There's been times before I've sat through marriage counseling I've told people, hey, I'm gonna stop praying for your marriage because I'm the only one in your marriage that's praying right now. I'm gonna stop caring for your marriage because I'm, I care more for your marriage than you do. And the heart of a pastor is not to tell people what to do or to boss people around. I've met pastors like that before and it's really ugly. But Paul, in this case here, he says, I don't need anything from you. I don't want anything from you, but I want something for you instead. Secondly, a spirit-filled pastor says this, I'm not telling you what you want to hear. I'm telling you what you need to hear. Man, if you missed this morning's message, it was a barn burner. Let me just tell you that. It It was a really heavy message on fornication and sexual immorality on a Sunday morning. And I think there's probably some people, there's some folks that were here on, uh, on vacation from Australia. There's about seven or eight of them sat in the back over here, and I had a chance to talk with them for a bit. And I, I can imagine, like, oh, we're going to, to America. Oh, we're going to Hawaii. We should find a church that would be an encouragement to us on a Sunday morning. And I think they were encouraged by the fellowship, but I, I said afterwards, I said, hey, this morning was just a really heavy message, and we're just going through verse by verse. And they said, no, no, no. They said, we don't have to wonder where you stand on anything, that's for sure. I said, so, well, it's not where I stand, it's where the Bible stands. They go, oh, you were very clear on that too. And so, and they said, we had a blast here. We were really thankful for it. And she goes, I wish more people would say this stuff that you said. And I said, well, we just gotta say what the Bible says. Simple as that. It was heavy. This morning's message wasn't like a, a, a real pick-me-up message. It wasn't a, hey, wow, God's so good, God's so gracious. It was a heavy message where we had to look inside of ourselves and make sure everything was okay. And sometimes we need that. Next week, we're gonna take a look at what God's brought us through and how he's brought us through it in in our study of Ephesians on a Sunday morning. We're gonna take a look at how our behavior will determine whether or not we'll we'll actually be the proof of whether or not that we actually can call ourselves Christians or not. It's a a heavy message, but I think it'll be a little bit more encouraging. But my job is not to make you happy. Paul's job in this case here wasn't to make them happy. Take a look at verse number 16. He says, but be it so, I did not burden you nevertheless being crafty or caught you with guile. Paul says, I didn't trick anybody into following Jesus. I didn't, I didn't do a bait and switch on you anywhere along the way. I told you what you needed to hear. And, and folks, there's gonna be times, let me just tell you this. If when you feel the, hear the Bible preached, you don't at any point in 365 days ever feel uncomfortable, you should check your heart to make sure that you're a Christian, because the Holy Spirit is gonna, at some point, hit you upside the head and go, dude, you need to get your life right. I was reading through the, uh, uh, this morning in my Bible reading, I was reading through the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I don't know why, I'd, I, was, I had been in Psalms for a while, and then I flipped through there, Proverbs, I thought, Ecclesiastes, I can't remember the last time I just read Ecclesiastes. I started reading that this morning. And man, it, it starts off with Solomon, who was the richest, wisest man to ever live. Dude was filthy rich, filthy rich. And Ecclesiastes is just talking about how much this life is just a waste. I had everything under the sun, and it didn't mean anything. I had every relationship that I'd ever wanted, and it didn't mean anything. And man, as I read that, I thought to myself, is there anything in my life that I hold too closely, too, too dearly, that I shouldn't? It's not really as important as I'm making it out to be. And man, as I read through that, the Holy Spirit just did a work on me and said, stay humble, Anthony. Stay humble. And if the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to you when you hear Bible preaching or when you read the word, you should definitely check and make sure that you're still in tune with the Holy Spirit. And so my job as a pastor is not to entertain. My job as a pastor is not to tell funny stories. I think we should. I, I think pastors should be funny. I think that should be a job requirement because nobody wants to hear a boring preacher. Uh, but uh, it's not my job to entertain. It really isn't. There's a guy um, uh, who attended here. It's been several years, uh, but uh, he, he attended for about six or eight weeks, and then he just kind of fell off the face of the planet. And I tried to get in touch with him, text him. I never could get back in touch with him. I was in Walmart over in Kamoku uh, one day, and I turned around the corner, and I was like, "Tony, what's up? I've been looking for you, man. The FBI couldn't find you, dude. Where have you been?" And he's like, oh, Pastor Anthony, I found another church, and uh, I've been going there kind of off and on. And I said, hey, I'm just glad you're going to church somewhere. I said, uh, now, I said you left, and you never did say anything to me, even when I tried to reach out to you. Is everything okay between us? I said, I don't care that you're going to another church. I just want to make sure that everything's okay with us. And he goes, yeah, you know, the first few weeks there that I was there, you were super funny. And just week after week when I came, I thought, this guy's not funny anymore. Really? I know that's mean, and I don't mean to be mean. I go, no, that's actually really, really helpful. And he goes, so I found this other church. The dude's hilarious. He really is. Good for you, Tony. I'm glad you found a funny pastor. And I thought to myself, it's probably good that Tony left. If he's looking for entertainment, he's looking for somebody to be funny every Sunday, I can't do that, and and I don't want to try. I just want to tell people what the Bible says. This book has everything you ever need to know for life. Everything, cover to cover. And it's my job to break this down for you in a way that you can apply it to your life every single day of the world. And that's it. Paul says, I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I'm not trying to to coerce you into anything. I'm not trying to pull a bait and switch. I just wanna tell you what you need to hear, not what you wanna hear. Thirdly, Paul says, I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm trying to give something to you. Again, we take a look at verse number 17. He said, did I make gain of you by any of them whom I sent unto you? I desired Titus, and with him I sent a brother. Did Titus make gain of you? Walk we not in the same spirit? Walk we not in the same steps? Again, thank you that we excuse ourselves unto you. We speak before God and Christ. We do all things dearly beloved. Look at those last three words in verse 19. For your edifying. Paul said, you think it means, and Titus tried to get rich off you? You think me and Titus tried to take stuff from you? We did everything we did to build you up. We did everything to make you stronger spiritually. We did everything we could to make you a better Christian. That's what we wanted. We didn't want anything from you. We wanted something for you. And it's the heart of your pastor tonight to want for every single person seated in this room to be at the maximum level of efficiency for the cause of Christ that you can every single day of the world. And when that doesn't happen, I wanna help you. Most of you have been on the receiving end at some point of a a text, an email, a Facebook message, or a postcard that says, hey, missed you in church, hope everything's okay. Anything I can do to help. Hey, just wanna let you know I prayed for you today, Uh, missed you in church, hope to see you this Sunday. And I think sometimes, I, I feel awkward sometimes writing those because I'm afraid of what people think. That's a sin that I'll confess before you tonight. Sometimes I'm afraid of what people think. And I don't want people to think like, oh, great, I guess I'll go to church on Sunday so pastor will quit sending these stupid postcards. You know, great, I know if I don't show up on Sunday, pastor's gonna send me an email saying, hey, miss you, hope everything's well. Please understand my heart here. I love you, I care about you, and I don't wanna see you make it. And when I get the idea that for some reason you're not making it the way that you should, I wanna help with that. And church attendance is an indication whether or not you're making it or not. Some people say, well, I don't buy that or just read the Bible okay it'll show you we need community we need fellowship we need to be together you need the oversight of a pastor you need uh, uh, to be a part of the body of Christ on a regular continual basis a committed part and so for me honestly uh, we we this this might blow some of your minds we take attendance every week somebody has a clipboard marking off who's here or not here because I can't see everybody I want to know if you're not here uh, we we keep count as far as numbers and stuff like that. But, we, but I don't think to myself, oh, how can we grow our attendance by 10%? Oh, we should reach out to the you know, 70 people that didn't show up last Sunday. I've never thought that in my entire life. Honestly, the only reason we keep numbers is to figure out how many chairs we need to set up in the auditorium every week. Honestly, at the end of the day, I don't care about numbers. I have no desire to pastor a numerically large church, ever. No desire. I have a burning passion in my soul to pastor a spiritually strong church that makes a massive impact in our community, burning desire for that. And let me just tell you, there's no mark off sheet on a spreadsheet for that. My goal is not that you would help us grow our numbers. My heart for you is that you would grow your love for Christ in such a way that would make a massive impact to every single person that you know. That you would show the love of Christ to every person that you meet every single day without fail. And when I see something that might be nothing hey, you're normally here on Wednesday nights for a connect group and you miss three weeks in a row. I'm concerned. When you used to give faithfully, you used to tithe, but you haven't given anything in three months. I'm concerned with that. When you used to come out on outreach every single Saturday without fail and you haven't been in six months, that worries me. Why? Because I'm your pastor and I love you and I wanna make sure that everything's okay. And sometimes people say, hey, hey you know, my schedule changed. I'm not off on Saturdays anymore, but everything's good. That's helpful to me. Because at the end of the day, my (laughs) job, here's the fact of the matter. I'll stand before God one day and give an account for your life. That's heavy. I know it's probably not heavy for you, but it, but it, it, it keeps me up some nights. To know that I am responsible for guiding you into spiritual truth. And at the end of the day, you gotta make your own decision, but I wanna make sure that I guided you well. And Paul says in this case here, hey, everything I did was to build you up. Paul's final thought that he gives here is found in verses twenty and twenty-one for I fear lest when I come that I should not find you as I would. I'm not going to find you being spiritually healthy, and that I should be found unto you as you would not, lest there be debates, envyings, wrath, strife, backbiting, whispering, swellings, tumults, and lest when I come again my God will humble me among you, and that I shall bewail many which have, have already have sinned already. I'm not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they've committed. Paul says, my greatest fear for you is that you turn back from Jesus to selfishness. Few things hurt me as a pastor than to see people who quote unquote fall off the wagon. You were doing so well and then everything just imploded. You were doing so great, you were on fire for God. You're in your Bible every day. You were sharing your faith. You were bringing first-time guests to church. You were really living out your faith in a massive way. The people around you were affected by it. Everybody saw a change, and then something happened. Somebody disappointed you, or you got a raise of $2 an hour to work on Sundays, and you just kind of dropped off. Probably one of the, the more hurtful things that I've seen in just my time walking with Jesus is when Angela and I moved to go to Bible college in uh, California in 2003, we got uh, plugged into a, uh, a young couples class at the, at the uh, church there. We were young couples once, believe it or not. Uh, and so uh, we got plugged into a class there, and it was probably, I don't know, 20 or 30 other couples in that particular class, and uh, we, we became really good friends. You know, our kids played together. Our kids grew up together. Uh, we'd take the kids to the park. You know, we'd cook out at somebody's house on the weekends and stuff like that, and uh, a couple of other couples were going to Bible college at the same time that we were, And we're just doing life together. It was a blast. Bummer is out of, uh, let's just say 20 of those couples, about eight of them are divorced now and married other people and are out of church. It hurts to see stuff like that. You send me a friend request on Facebook. I, I don't wanna see your Facebook feed. I really don't. It hurts my heart because God had so much more in store for you. God had such greater plans than what you had for yourself and you sold yourself short. Over five years, we've seen people flat out quit on Jesus. It hurts, it's a bummer, it happens. But for me as a pastor, my greatest fear for you, every person in this room, is that I would look you up 10, 15 years from now and you're not walking with Jesus. It's like one of the worst things that could happen. Because tonight, you're where you need to be. Tonight, you said, I'm gonna be in God's house. Many of you came this morning at 10 a.m. You came back at five o'clock tonight. Why? Because you just wanna hear from God's word and you wanna be with God's people again. My greatest fear is that 10 years from now, you wouldn't have that same passion, that same desire, that the things of this world kind of sucked you away. And Paul's saying, I'm a little bit nervous about coming back to Corinth. Can you imagine, Paul used to be the pastor of that church. You'd think like a homecoming for Paul like this would be exciting. You'd think he'd be like, guys, I can't wait to see you. When we get there, we're totally going to the Waffle House and we're going to go to Cracker Barrel and we're going to play checkers outside in the rocking chairs, Guys, it's going to be awesome. But Paul's just like, I'm a little bit nervous about coming back because I'm afraid when I come back, things aren't going to be the way that they used to be. And he's he's worried. And he had good reason to be, the things that he was hearing. And I say all that to say this, here's the application of this. First of all, everybody needs a pastor, everybody. My pastor is Pastor Paul Chapel. he's the pastor of Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California. Uh, He's been my pastor since 2003. He and I talk on the phone maybe once a month, we text back and forth probably a couple times a week. Um, I, I just found out he's gonna be here November of next year. Uh, so a year from now, my pastor's gonna come and, and preach for us. I'm super fired up about that. It's been, uh, the last time I think it was 2014 when he came here, and so it's been a minute. And so I keep giving him grief probably once a month to come out here, and he finally said, November, I'm gonna be there. And so I'm super pumped up about that. But you know what? I need a pastor. I can't do this on my own. I need somebody to give me some guidance. I need somebody to ask me how my walk with God's been going. I need somebody to keep me accountable. I need to know that there's somebody looking over my shoulder. that if I mess up, they say, hey, Anthony, get it together. We all need that. I need it. You need it. Secondly, a spirit-filled pastor has no desire to run your life but to guide you to the greatest joy in life. Hey, look, honestly, I could care less what kind of car you drive and what color it is. I, I really don't care if you get a two-bedroom or a three-bedroom. That doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you have a couch or a love seat. It doesn't matter although I tried to talk my wife into getting those really cool uh, couches with the cup holders in the middle. She says, no cup holders, can't do it. And I was like, come on, those are so cool. Like a fold down with a cup holder. And when you pull it up, you got a place to stick the remote. She said no to that. What the world? Who would say no to that? I have no desire to run your life. I, hey, look, you don't have to tell me, you know, every single detail about what's going on. But just like a, hey, pastor, I'm not gonna make it this Sunday because... You know, I got a project. I got to get done at work. That's helpful to me. Just to say things like, "Hey, uh, Pastor, I want to let you know I read something really good in my Bible this morning." That encourages my heart. That helps me. I'm not trying to run your life. Ask you how your walk with God is. It's not an accusation. <laughs> I had people for, "Hey, how's your walk with the Lord been this week?" Why? I'm just wondering. Did my wife talk to you? <laughs> no, but should she? Man. Should she talk to me? That's the question, right? Hey, look, at the end of the day, I have enough trouble running my own life. I don't need to try to run yours. Now, again, I've met pastors before who wanna know everything that's going on. You know, they want to, to look at your you know, day planner and find out how your, what appointments you got going on. I don't have time for that. And here's the thing. At some point, you gotta be a grown up and handle your own business. But here's what I want for you. I want God's best for your life. Here's what I want for you. I want joy in your life. I want you to pursue Jesus like you never have before, ever in your entire life. And as your your pastor, I wanna guide you into that. So that when I say something like, hey, I think you should consider going through our discipleship program. You know, go. I've been in church my whole life. I don't need discipleship. Hey, I'm just trying to guide you into the greatest joy in life. Have you ever thought about going on outreach on Saturday? I'm not trying to tell you you're a horrible Christian because you don't. I'm just encouraging you to try to take a step up And just trying to get you to be more committed. Hey, have you ever thought about church membership? It makes you a part of the body in a real committed way so that you can serve other people through the church. Have you ever given that a thought? It's not because we need to pump up our numbers for church membership. It's because I wanna see you find the greatest joy in life that comes from serving others. At the end of the day, it's not the pastor's job to run your life. Hopefully, you can do that on your own. It is my job to guide you into joy and spiritual fruitfulness, though. Final thought, and we're done. The best way to encourage your pastor is to stay faithful to Jesus. That's it. Uh, last Sunday night was awesome, I, I really enjoyed it. We had a reception here that uh, one of our ladies put together, uh, unbeknownst to me, and everybody brought a bunch of ridiculous amount of food, there was so much food, and it was so good, it really was. But honestly, like you could have like had bottled water for everybody and would just stand around in the lobby and hang out. I just enjoyed the fellowship with God's people and just hearing people's stories about what God's done in their life, and to see people who have been faithful through difficult times still sticking it out, to see people who had opportunities to go somewhere else but chose to stay, to see people who said, hey, pastor, God's done this through my life at this church, and that made all the difference in the world. Nothing encourages me more than when you're doing what God called you to do. Nothing helps me more than to see you being faithful I think Paul would have been encouraged had he known and gotten word from the church at Corinth, hey, we read that first letter that you wrote, and dude, we totally changed everything we're doing. But they didn't. and So Paul was a little bit nervous, maybe a little bit discouraged. Hey, look, I'm just like anybody else. I get discouraged sometimes. And generally, when it comes to ministry, I get discouraged because people aren't doing what they should be doing. Simple as that. And again, not people aren't showing up for church. People aren't loving their wife. People aren't uh, helping their husband. People are being ugly to their kids. You know, stuff like that. Best thing in the world that you can do is do what the Bible says. I have no expectation for you other than that you would do your best for Jesus. That's it. I hope you have that same level of expectation for yourself. I wanna do my best for Jesus this week. And let me stop here for just a second. And please, please. Under no circumstances whatsoever should your goal be to please the pastor. Again, I've seen pastors like that, and it's always ugly. You've got to live with the idea, I just want to please Jesus with my life. And trust me, if you please Jesus with my life, you'll please your pastor 100% of the time. Not that that really matters because it doesn't. But I want to be like John. You know, you know what John said? He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I'm so thankful that the people I've invested in spiritually have made it. Angela and I had um, the opportunity to couple, uh, to, to disciple a couple when we were in uh, California. <clears throat> They'd been saved for probably, I don't know, maybe, maybe 60 days when we met them. They, their, their marriage was a wreck. Uh, their kids were a wreck. Uh, he came out of a, a gang lifestyle in L.A., and all. Uh, of marital drama and family drama and everything else. I mean, by a checklist, this couple was an absolute wreck. And somehow we wound up with them. And uh, our our discipleship course here is 14 weeks. The discipleship course that we were in was 18 months. 18 months every single week with this couple who's just an absolute mess. Week in, week out. Sometimes we didn't even crack the book. It's just I had to sit there and yell at him for an hour to tell him to stop being an idiot. No lie, we're sitting there going through discipleship uh, and he lets a, a... a strong four-letter curse words out. And at first I'd taken aback by it. I thought, maybe I didn't hear him right or maybe uh, he doesn't realize what he said. And then he said it again. And I said, oh, I'm just gonna stop you right there. Christians don't talk like that. You don't know me, man. You don't know where I come from. And this is just how I am. Now, that's how you were. You met Jesus, you're a new creature now. Knock it off. You can't just turn it off. Well, you can turn it off or I'll turn you off. Take your pick. And he was just like, oh, fine. And so it was like that week after week after week. And we, were just, we would go home exhausted, just exhausted of spending time with this couple, exhausted. We had the opportunity to go back when uh, Thatcher graduated college, uh, and I spoke on a Tuesday night at his baccalaureate service. After the service was over, the two of them came up. They were crying. They brought all their kids with them, and they said, we just want to let you know we're still here. And they said, and we're doing it. They said, it hasn't been easy, but we're walking with Jesus. I mean, they were just crying. They had all their kids with them. Their kids had been saved and baptized and were in the Christian school. And it's just like, whoa. I mean, you talk about a shot in the arm. If anybody shouldn't have made it, it was them because they were a mess. Oh, man. I'm talking like calling cops on each other and stuff like that. I mean, just terrible. But they made it. And I, I told Angela, If you wrote me a check for a million dollars tonight, it wouldn't replace the joy that I have knowing that they made it. That the grace of God is good enough to do anything that we can fathom under the sun. And that messed up couple made it. And they're in church on a Wednesday night. What the world? I wanna have that same joy for you. And again, not that it's about me. But you should want that for yourself to say, hey, we're gonna make it. Hey, I know it's tough, but we're gonna be here. I'll never forget, a a couple in our church, uh, he had gone on a TDY. Um, They'd just been here for only just a a couple of weeks. And he'd gone TDY on a trip. It was the week of our fall revival. And she came down the sidewalk with uh, a baby on her hip, a diaper bag here, holding one kid's hand, and the other kid was holding the other kid's hand. Three kids coming into church on a Tuesday night at seven o'clock. And I said, hey, you being here tonight just encouraged me. Thanks for being here. And she looked at me and she goes, it's just what we do, Pastor. And I thought, yeah, this is what we do. That helped me. That encouraged me. That let me know that somebody else values time in God's word, time with God's people. If you look at your life, would you say your life is a life that pleases Jesus? Again, I don't want you to live a life that pleases me you please Jesus, that'll be a byproduct. But can you look at your life right now and say, my life is pleasing Jesus, this is good. Or can you say, there's an area where I need to take a step up. Maybe it's faithful church attendance. Maybe it's your tithes and offerings. Maybe you need to get baptized. We have a baptism Sunday next Sunday. Maybe you need to start discipleship. You say, well, you said we're not gonna start until next next year. Hey, look, that's when it starts, the kickoff. If you wanna start tomorrow, we'll start discipleship if you need it. Maybe you just need regular accountability. Hey, pastors, is there somebody in the church that can check in on me once a week just to see how I'm doing in my walk with Christ? I don't know what it is, but I know all of us need to take a step up. I've already started writing out my goals for 2019. You say, you're already that far ahead? It's not that far ahead. It's like six weeks away, right? I've already started writing my goals for next year. Why? Because I wanna do better. I wanna take a step up. I wanna be more useful to Jesus. And I hope you'll think that as well. Our theme two years ago, was steadfast, unmovable, always abounding. That's the idea is that we're constantly looking for the next step up. Next step up. Next step up. I don't want to ever have to look up anybody ten years from now and go, oh, I wonder if they made it. Oh, I remember they were a mess. I, I hope that they made it. I want to say, no, I don't know if anybody's walking with Jesus, it's them. I don't know if anybody is making a difference for the cause of Christ, it's them. Man, I know if anybody is knocking it out of the park, it's them. I hope you want to be that person. Not so, again, so that somebody can say, oh, you're doing such a great job, but so that you can be useful to Christ. That's the whole goal here. Know this. In your pastor, you have someone that loves you, cares about you, and prays for you every single day of the world. Again, that that roster that we use to take attendance, that's my prayer sheet that I pray through every single day. And so let's show that I love you and I'm praying for you. If there's anything I can do to help you, please know I don't want something from you. I want something for you. That you, you would be useful to Christ. So this week, what's a way we can take a step up and be more useful to the cause of Christ? Think about that.